it's been really fun because with each ride, I feel myself have certain breakthroughs and like certain mm-hmm. things click and cool you know whether it's leaning the bike over in a corner or going around a berm i rode a flow trail two or three weeks ago and like basically came to a stop around every single berm and then i <laughs> rode it again uh two days ago and was just like finally starting to flow through it and carry momentum and actually able to carry speed through the berms and it's like oh okay like that's cool that's starting to click it's showtime everybody showtime You've been living in a dream world, Neo. This is the world as it exists today. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. Listen, we're talking about practice. They peed on the dude's rug. Donnie, you're out of your element. I see. You think this has nothing to do with you. Don't ever trash talk black jesus this is the adventure stash with pace and mccalvin hello everyone welcome back to the show quick episode today uh and right off the top i'm gonna let you know that sound quality isn't quite as spot on because i didn't expect to be recording an in-person episode this week but the opportunity arose with brennan wirtz i'm in monterey california for a little sea level camp plus a little sea otter classic pre-ride action. Um, and Brennan decided to cruise down from his home in the San Francisco Bay Area to join me for a couple of training rides, which I was stoked on. And I couldn't pass up the opportunity to finally get him on the podcast. Um, he's doing the Grand Prix this year, and it's always really a fun opportunity, I feel like, to introduce y'all to a new player in the field before... We dive into the series and then check back in with them. So even though this episode was on the shorter side and there was background noise since we were you know, in a, in a hotel room and I was recording my track on voice memos and he had a mic, which is the main thing. But point is, this one is more has a bit more character, shall we say. Uh, but I'm really excited to give you all some background finally on a guy that has become a friend on the race circuit and also... Without a doubt, one of, if not the biggest engines we get to compete against. Uh, He's a big man with even bigger watts, but also a very interesting background that we spend a lot of time discussing today. I want to say a big thank you to a brand that I've had a relationship with for a long, long time and been a fan of since even before that. And that is kind of uh, a local to me brand, Osprey. Um, Osprey is just over the hill from Durango in Cortez. And along with making the gold standard of hydration packs, bags, backpacks, luggage, roller bags, all that sort of thing, one of the reasons that I've always gravitated towards Osprey is their involvement in the community, uh, their prioritization of things like sustainability. They've long supported local organizations like Durango Devo. That's the program that folks like Howard Grotz, Christopher Blevins, Sepp Kuss, Quinn Simmons have all come from the Durango Trails Organization, Mancus Trails Alliance, all that sort of thing. Really appreciate that they've always supported organizations like that. But also, they have some really exciting updates for 2023, um, product-wise, certainly, but things that aren't as obvious to the naked eye as well. And most primarily, the one that's most impressive to me is that all of their bike hydration packs are getting updated to be 100% recycled and blue sign approved main body materials. That is amazing. Along with that, they have updated 
reservoirs and all of their hydration packs too. Um, they've completely revisited and, and sort of redesigned all the ways that they can create a better user experience from bite valves to the hose, to the baffles, everything. Osprey is just an organization that I could not be more proud to be aligned with. And they just simply make the best stuff out there. And I highly recommend you go to osprey.com to learn more. Big thanks to them for supporting today's episode. Thanks to you as well for listening each and every week. And I will catch you after the show. Okay, so we are sitting here in a hotel room in Monterey, California, your home state. Um, And I wasn't expecting to do an in-person episode this week. So uh, you have the mic. I have voice memos. The sound quality is not going to be stellar, but that doesn't really matter. Um, I'm so stoked to finally get some words for you, get some words from you. I know you've done... Ted's podcast. Have you done any others? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did a one with this guy, Craig Dalton. Uh, oh yeah, gravel the gravel ride. ride yeah. yeah, he's actually a neighbor of mine, so that was a nice, easy one. Just spun down the street, basically in Mill Valley. Um, but yeah, that's kind of the extent of it. Sweet. Um, so for those that aren't aware, you and I get to race each other pretty frequently these days. Mm-hmm. We're sort of teammates in that we're both part of the Orange Seal Academy shared the same coach, all that sort of thing. Um, but I mean, it's time flies, but it's probably only been three years that we've been racing together. When did you start competing in gravel? 2021 racing? was my first really? gravel that recently? season. Yeah. Unbound 2021 was my first gravel race, uh, or like big national level gravel race. Um, I had done a handful of grasshoppers before that. Um, some other small local events did unbound. And then I think we rode together at BWR San Diego that year. Mm-hmm. I think it was that year. Um, so yeah, 2021 kind of coming out of the pandemic break from racing. Yeah. Racing gravel kind of kicked into at least racing gear for me. I'd been riding a gravel bike, but hadn't been racing one. Yeah. So I guess I actually, I was familiar with you and probably had, kind of briefly met you before we even started racing together because you live in the Marin area, Mill mm-hmm. Valley area, which is one of my favorite places to ride. And for a few winters, um, I would base there for February and train. And you were one of uh, a couple of the like, strongest local guys. Mm-hmm. And you and this guy, Giovanni, yeah. um, were riding buddies. And I remember seeing your names on the Strava leaderboards, just like, who are these guys? And then I can't, it might've been at the roasters ride where I first met you. I can't remember, but I just remember thinking, wait, this is the guy that like has really fast <laughs> climb, like times on the climbs. He's like, how tall are you? Six, six, five, six, five. And at that time, probably, <laughs> I mean, I'm like 190, 200. Now I was probably much closer to my rowing days. It was probably 215, uh, 210. Yeah. Yeah. So I just remember putting two and two together and being like, wait, this this is crazy. Who is this guy? Um, and at the time you were doing a bit of road racing, I think mm-hmm. with Mike's bikes. Is that yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then I can't remember if I just heard it through the grapevine or we talked about it, but I heard that you were going to be doing some gravel racing and I immediately thought, Whoa, this guy is built, <laughs> this guy's built for gravel racing. Um, can you talk before we get into some of your background, you just mentioned rowing. I definitely want to talk about that, but at what point did you 
see what was happening in the gravel uh, discipline and think, I think that's what I want to do rather than pursuing maybe a more traditional road trajectory. I think the, the pandemic was eye opening for me and that I had been working in a bike shop and working at Mike's bikes kind of part time and had the opportunity to build up a gravel bike and just thought that kind of just got into the equipment and building it and just thought, Oh, this would be fun. And I'll go and use this as an opportunity to go ride some new terrain and very quickly fell in love with the style of riding more so before racing was even on my radar. Um, I'd heard people talk about, Oh, there's this race in Kansas and there's this guy, Ted, and he wins it. And it's this crazy <laughs> race. And you see these photos of people. And he wins it. That's awesome. <laughs> um, and you know, that's this kind of just crazy scene, but it hadn't really registered for me as like a pathway. I hadn't mm-hmm. thought of it as a, uh, something I would want to pursue. I was just, falling in love with the actual act of riding gravel. And as you've seen, Marin County has some amazing gravel riding. It's kind of not that unbound style of terrain, but it's very challenging. It's technical. There's a lot of climbing involves mountain bike trails. And, um, so I was just enjoying, enjoying getting my feet wet and, and really having kind of this couple months of time when the whole world was shut down. A lot of the parks were shut down to hiking or to, to, traffic so there weren't people going in and hiking but with a bike you could go in and access this really hard to reach terrain that otherwise was closed to the general public Mm. um or inaccessible and i really just started to fall in love with that style of riding and then kind of coming out of that racing break due to the pandemic as things started to get going again i had the opportunity with above category to build up a really sweet custom mosaic gravel bike and sort of do this marketing project with them. And that opened my eyes to the racing side of it, but also to the brands and the sponsorship Mm -hmm. and sort of the relationships that enable a lot of this. Um, And had that opportunity, really enjoyed it, really enjoyed the connections I made, the friends I made, the people I got to work with to actually put the final product together of the bike. And then uh, I, I think the bike was finished three or four days before unbound, packed it up, flew out, <laughs> did the race, um, had no idea what I was getting myself into, had no idea what tire pressure to run. Like, I think I had like 45 PSI in my tires and, um, just really no idea what I was getting myself into. Um, but it went, it went reasonably well at unbound. I came 10th, I think there my first year and had a ton of fun doing it and just really enjoyed the craziness of it all. And from there kind of that result and also just the putting the bike together and the whole process really was eye opening, but also kind of got the ball rolling for me and considering it as an actual racing pathway. Um, and I had this really busy, I think the month of June in 2021, where I did unbound the week after I went to pro road nationals, the week after that I did elite road nationals was focusing on the time trial. And then at, I think a week or two after that, I went out to California for BWR San Diego. So I had these kind of like crazy gravel events that were also very different styles of gravel events, bookending this like really road heavy block. And at the road races, like it was really intense. It was super cool, but it just didn't seem like people were having fun or I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's just like you look around and everyone's serious. Everyone's there to do a job. And, and that's yeah. totally fair. I think there's, you know, I really respect that, but then you go to these gravel events and it's a huge party and everyone's hanging out and 
you know, we get to race each other super competitively and like you and I in the, in a race scenario we're we're going head to head and it's a battle, but then off, afterwards off the bike, we're able to have these friendships and yeah. sort of smile and laugh and share a beer and just kind of have a nice chill moment after the race. And so I really appreciated that. And I thought that that kind of style of event was more suited to my persona and just mm. like my vibe. Um, and I think from there, that was kind of a turning point where I, didn't fully stop pursuing the road, but I definitely kind of pivoted and focused more on the gravel kind of yeah. the rest of that year. Interesting. Do you think any of that desire to have more, uh, more of like a, an ecosystem, more of a community off the race course, was that influenced by your rowing background at all coming from a team sport? Definitely. I think, I mean, I would joke that I was always the one my teammates would try to come and like pull out of the race expo or like out of the venue okay. just because I would be running around talking to all my friends, catching up with people. We'd go to these international events like Worlds and get to see all these friends of mine who I hadn't seen in a year since the last Worlds or since the last international competition. And so we'd be catching up and I, I speak German too. So I'd go, you know, I'd be talking to the German team and chit-chatting and just kind of running around catching up with people. So for me... I really love that element of sport, the connections and the relationships that you can foster. Um, so yeah, I think that that was always important for me. Um, and then with the gravel scene, it just, it's very, very similar. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about the rowing background a little bit because you having a lot of success in bike racing and coming from a rowing background is somewhat unusual, but it's not unheard of. There's definitely others, other examples of that at the highest levels of cycling. Um, can you give us a little bit of an idea of what that part of your life looked like? I know you rode for Stanford, um, traveled the world, competed at the world championships, all that sort of thing. Uh, talk to me a little bit about what that phase was like, maybe how it compares to what you do now, um, whether there's, there's anything you miss, stuff you don't miss, all that sort of thing. Just kind of paint mm -hmm. us a picture because a lot of people won't know what it's like to race or row, obviously, at the highest level. Yeah, I think collegially. I think the biggest at a very basic level, it was sort of this eight year period of just sort of building an engine like it's eight just, years. Yeah, eight years or seven years, seven and a half years um, of beginning of high school through college um, was when I was rowing. Um, and it wasn't quite the endurance like we do now. Um, the races that we were preparing for were usually five and a half minutes long. So um, a 2000 meter rowing race, very different from a 200 mile gravel race in Kansas, but um, we that's would do- so fast. Sorry, yeah. I didn't realize that's how long it took to go 2K. Yeah, so it's like pure VO2. So wow. a lot of VO2 style intervals, um, the longest we'd be training in one single session would usually be two hours. Um, so often double days, we'd do like two hours in the morning, an hour and a half or two hours in the afternoon. Mm -hmm. um, also partially just due to being in college and having classes during the day and sort of managing all of that. Um, but yeah, I think, I think that's been the biggest, the biggest thing for me is knowing that I just have this sort of period of being you know training at a very high level having really fast teammates to push me um i think the thing that i miss the most is that team camaraderie element uh, mm. i think you know with cycling especially the cycling that we're doing 
we have these kind of collectives and these little teams, yeah. quote unquote teams, like this Orange Seal Academy, which has been awesome. Um, but we don't train together on a daily basis. We're all kind of in our own parts of the country or world training, doing our own intervals, doing our own program. And um, I was always, you know, with an eight person boat, you always have eight other people around you to um, to sort of push you and you're always training with other people. So this whole idea of training solo all the time was something that was quite new to me. And I do miss that camaraderie and the sort of just that, yeah, the team sportsmanship that comes from that. But I think that I've done what I can to kind of foster that, like with doing what we're doing now mm-hmm. and training together and meeting up and having these friends that we see each other at each event throughout the season. Yeah. And you kind of build that relationship. And then when you're at home, you have some training buddies that you can ride with and on certain days where it fits with the, the training schedule, that's always really fun. So there are definitely ways to, to find that and continue to have that. But I think with rowing, it was never a, you know, you never had to go look for that. There were always other people to train with. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I'm sort of thinking about just how much of a team, I mean, it sounds obvious at face value, but there probably aren't many sports where working collectively with a singular goal is more, uh, um, it's, it's, it's almost like the definition of that. I mean, we have the saying, like, we're all in the same boat, yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's like if you were a cyclist and all you did was team time trials, like that was mm-hmm. the entire focus of your athletic experience. That's really, really, really interesting. Yeah. I mean, I think it is kind of the ultimate team sport in that you have to pair, you know, even if you have some ringer, like some super strong, really fit person that can almost be a disadvantage if everybody hmm. else is um, at a different level. Like if, you know, bringing in some, some really strong person can actually throw off the balance. So you really have to like mesh everyone together much more so than like you on your own as an individual having some crazy amount of raw power. So sure the raw power is super important, but you also have to balance in the technique and the balance of the boat and moving in sync with each other and the communication with the coxswain, who's the person at the the stern of the boat at the mm-hmm. back of the boat, who's calling the shots and steering. So there's a lot that has to fall into place for it to actually click. And when it does, it's quite special, but yeah, um, yeah the, the team element of it is, is crucial. What kind of success did y'all achieve during those years when you were rowing for Stanford? Um, one of my favorite races and results was I, that friend of mine, Giovanni, we spent a summer kind of almost putting together our own semi-privateer program where we did a a two-person boat and we didn't Hmm. have a huge team we were just kind of the way that the national team works is in the smaller boats you go to a a trials and it's as simple as you show up and if you win the race you're the national team and if you lose go home and try again next year so we went to the trials we won and then we did a, a bunch of training in new hampshire and up there in the summer, it's just ideal for training. We were yeah. out of the Dartmouth facilities on the Connecticut River, and there's just the two of us, and we kind of put together our own training schedule and did our, a lot of our own logistics and then flew over to Holland and raced at the U23 Worlds and hmm. got a bronze medal there. So that was a that was a really awesome experience, and I think that we have both since switched to, to bike racing, and so it's really fun to go out and ride with him, and, and we continue to kind of easily click back into that that kind of communication and that that uh, ability to push ourselves in training um and then in terms of other results in 2018 i was in the eight-man boat at the u23 worlds and we won wow uh, set a 
uh, world best time that I think is still standing. No way. Um, yeah. And that was, I think the biggest takeaway from that was just, it was a, a good example of everything that can go wrong. Sometimes will go wrong and you mm -hmm. just have to figure it out. Like the race is still going to happen no matter what's going on. And I was, I had a really bad rib injury. My ribs were separating and stress fracturing and my intercostal muscles were super inflamed. Oh my it was God. excruciatingly painful. From um, uh, some sort of like traumatic injury or just, just overuse? overuse. Oh. Yeah, from rowing. It's quite a common injury. Uh, wow. Rowing. So like sleeping, coughing, sneezing, laughing, breathing, all of that was really, really painful. Um, and you have to breathe pretty damn hard when you're racing all out for five and a half minutes it turns out um so yeah i was in i was in quite a lot of pain uh and then i got food poisoning the night before the race as well with one of my teammates what? um so we were we were hurting pretty bad but we had had such a good preparation uh, we left really no st stone left unturned um and we were just yeah, everything was clicking and regardless of the the setbacks, we were still able to put it together and, and pull it off on race day. So I still think about that often when I'm hmm. struggling and something with my bike isn't working or my training's not going to plan or I puncture or, you know, whatever it is, it's like, it's always going to happen. Uh, the race is going to keep going. Like the race is always on the race day and it'll always keep going until the finish. And so just kind of have to put your head down and figure it out. That's crazy. So presumably you don't get a rainbow jersey in at the World Championships for rowing. What do you get? No, you get a little gold medal. <laughs> um, yeah, gold medal. Um, were the Olympics ever on your radar or a goal rowing-wise? Yeah, for a while they were. Um, that was kind of a, a longer target plan. Um, but those injuries that I had that year required me to take some time off mm -hmm. after that summer. Um, so that was kind of through the summer and I was going into my senior year in college and I needed to take a break, uh, to let my body recover and heal. And during that time, I was really when I fell in love with cycling and when I kind of rediscovered my passion for cycling. And at that point it was just, I was getting so hooked to riding the bike that I didn't really look back. Hmm. Um, it was pretty quick transition and pivot and I was having so much fun and just enjoying the discovering everything that I could discover about riding a bike that it quickly felt like that was the right thing to do. Interesting. Yeah. So we were transitioning now more to bike stuff. We were laughing last night at dinner because you, uh, you're in the Grand Prix this year. You've decided mm -hmm. to jump into that, which I know is getting you a little bit outside your comfort zone because you have mostly a drop bar background and the bike handling aspect. I mean, for what it's worth, last year at Rebecca's private Idaho race in that first stage one, which has a lot of single track, I was really impressed. I don't want to say surprised, but I was impressed with how solid your bike handling was. But even so, um, I, it sounds like it's getting you out of your comfort zone a little bit because mm -hmm. there's a handful of people that come from a mountain bike background and uh, obviously three of the seven races are done on a mountain bike. I want to hear a little bit more about your perspectives going into the Grand Prix this year and, and kind of the reason I wanted to push through and do this podcast today, even though, you know, we only have one mic and we're in a hotel room and we're a little <laughs> bit rushed because we're getting out on this training ride. I really wanted to kind of introduce folks to you and set the groundwork a little bit um, before the Grand Prix kicks off, because I think it's it's really cool to to do that and then check back in partway through the year. Um, 
But before we dive into your thoughts on the Grand Prix, um, we were laughing last night because you said, you know, I have actually done one mountain bike race. <laughs> it was the Sea Otter Classic in the downhill. And I was like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? You're like, yeah, man, I had a full face helmet on and everything. So mm-hmm. <laughs> can you explain what was going on there? Yeah. And when it was? Yeah. So <laughs> way back in the day before before I was rowing, uh, my sport of choice was actually mountain biking. Um so yeah, I grew up in Marin County, which is, uh, the birthplace of mountain biking. And there's lots of great terrain, as you know, um, my parents were very active and adventurous and love cycling. So we go out on family rides as kids. And then I had some really good friends in elementary school and middle school who were really into mountain biking. And we started a little mountain bike club at our middle school and would ride all the local trails together. And, um, one of the things that we did together was we came down and raced sea otter one year. We just thought it'd be a fun, a fun trip. We camped out and had the full experience, you know, as a little Grom kid running around the sea otter and the expo and getting autographs and getting all the free, the free stuff we could get our hands on and <laughs> trick or treating um, the expo. Yeah, totally had a blast. <laughs> and then kind of the, the icing on the cake was getting to race the downhill track, which that was sort of the style of riding I was more into at that time. I definitely had no idea what I was doing. I was rolling over all these 20, 30 foot tabletop jumps, um, <laughs> just completely mind blown that people could clear them. Um, and I don't know what I was probably like 20th or 30th out of our 30 person junior downhill cat, whatever, uh, race I was in, but had a ton of fun. Uh, definitely was, outside of my comfort zone then and just had a blast so yeah that's the only other mountain bike race i've ever done was the the 2011 sea otter and so now more than a decade later we're back we're uh getting ready to do it again yeah and uh, albeit in a very different style of race yeah yeah so see it's been interesting to see sea otter evolve over the years in terms of what they do with the cross-country race there were a handful of years there where they sort of did this longer i think it was like a 40 mile two lap cross country and lots of big names would come over from europe christoph saustreyer won it one year when he was defending xc world champion i think and then with sort of the tiny loop um makeover that world cup racing saw the the little like five kilometer style red bull tv loop um they did that for a handful of years and you know nino would come over a handful of other Europeans and, and, uh, obviously take care of all their sponsor obligations since sea otter is one of the biggest annual cycling events there is, but they would also just crush the XC and it was cool. And also a little humbling to, to race it during those years. And just, it was definitely the closest thing you could get to, um, outside of a world cup to, to that level. Um, in the States at least. And then now, uh, with Lifetime's involvement, they're kind of going more to this longer format again. Uh, I think last year was, how long was last year? Like, like 80K last year? 80K, yeah. yeah, so a little under 50 miles. And this year they have this thing called the XL, which is 100 plus K. I think with the racetrack start loop, it's probably going to be like 64 miles if I had to guess, <laughs> which is pretty cool, pretty exciting. Um, what are you how are you feeling about all this like are are you especially with the fact that in the scheme of things you're still new to gravel let mm-hmm. alone mountain bike racing too is it 
exciting? Is it overwhelming to try to prepare for a multidiscipline series? Like what's going yeah. through your head now two weeks out? Definitely a lot of nerves for sure. I mean, I think you have the uh, hear people talk about the imposter syndrome all the time. And, <laughs> you know, we were talking at dinner last night about tires and mountain bike stuff and the tech. And I feel like I'm, I'm pretty well versed in the gravel and roads space yeah. with that kind of stuff but this mountain bike equipment it's a totally new world for me like setting up suspension and tires and inserts and you know the difference between a 2.2 and a 2.4 like it's just all so foreign to me mm-hmm. um so i'm really enjoying that it's been really educational and i've been able to talk to a lot of people who are like yourself who have much more experience and know that stuff much better and so i've been learning tons and just trying to keep an open mind and go around acting like a sponge just trying to soak it all up um but yeah certainly nervous like i think the worst thing that i could you know imagine happening is like causing somebody else you know an issue like getting in someone's <laughs> way like i try to be courteous i try to be gentlemanly you know, that's something that i think i bring from my rowing background that was always a big important part of competing was just being courteous and gentlemanly um so trying to just make sure that i'm doing what I can to, uh, you know, handle the bike appropriately. I've been riding my mountain bike a ton these last few weeks and it's been tough with the winter we've had just because a lot of the trails are are closed and you don't really want to ride them because you're just damaging the trails. And, Mm -hmm. um, and also, you know, it's just like super sloppy mud fest. So, um, things are finally starting to dry out Been getting to spend a lot more time on the mountain bike and riding some single track. And it's been really fun because with each ride, I feel myself have certain breakthroughs and like certain Mm -hmm. things click and cool you know whether it's leaning the bike over in a corner or going around a berm i rode a flow trail two or three weeks ago and like basically came to a stop around every single berm and then i (laughs) rode it again uh two days ago and was just like finally starting to flow through it and carry momentum and actually able to carry speed through the berms and it's like oh okay like that's cool that's starting to click and um just all the little things like the equipment and everything it's kind of all starting to come together a little bit in my mind but um i think that nervousness is transitioning to excitement and just having so much fun on that bike i think like that's kind of what's guided me through my whole path through cycling is just doing new things having fun getting out of my comfort zone and i think i'm out of my comfort zone a lot even in gravel and road and i've only been doing this competitively at this level to two years full-time only one and a half years like it's um it's all very new to me still and so i think the grand prix is just another great opportunity to keep pushing the boundaries learning new things getting outside my comfort zone and hopefully ultimately showing people that um you know you can still do this you can still be competitive regardless of your size and your shape and you know i'm quite a, a larger rider but uh i just hope to show that you know don't let that be a limiting factor mm-hmm. yeah that's cool yeah a, a rider that comes to mind that sort of has a similar athletic i guess um build and like capability as you as matt beers who's mm-hmm. also going to be in the grand prix he's also a bigger rider but also seems to kind of defy a little bit the the tradition of of cycling where he can climb really well and you, mm-hmm. you can climb really well too. I remember last year at, again, Rebecca's private Idaho, uh, there was an uphill climb mm-hmm. climbing day and I felt really good about my effort. 
was able to put a lot of time into everybody else except you. <laughs> and you beat me, I think, by nine seconds mm-hmm. in that uphill TT. And I just remember, remember thinking, like, at that, I knew by that point that you have such a massive engine that you can climb. But I just remember thinking, like, what the hell, man? Like, mm-hmm. come on. I just had a good ride. And this dude who's 190 plus just beat me in an uphill time trial. Mm-hmm. Um, is there like, do you it, it, do you get fired up at all to kind of like prove people wrong Definitely. in a way? Like, yeah. is that part of the part, part of what's going on in your head competitively? Yeah, for sure. And I think like. <laughs> And I love climbing. Like, I think I live in an area with a lot of undulating terrain where we have tons of climbing. You know, I live on Mount Tam and so Mm -hmm. we've got this big mountain and a lot of the rides I do end up having quite a bit of vertical in them. I got to spend a month last year in the Dolomites doing nothing but massive road climbs and loved it. So, um, I do love climbing and I think like, sure, I know that I'm not going to go win a tour mountaintop finish. Like, sure. You look at those guys that are doing six, seven, whatever Watts per kilo. Like when I do that math, like it, it pretty quickly, it's just, you realize that there's, there's a certain point where it's no longer possible. But, um, I think for, for certain stuff, especially that kind of 20 to 30 minute range, I really enjoy that effort. Like that was something that we did a lot of testing on and rowing. We did a lot of 20 minute tests. So, Mm -hmm. um, I just am very comfortable at that kind of that effort. Um, do you, really how, how do you feel about sharing power numbers? Are you, yeah, no open book. What's your, uh, what's your all time 20 minute? I think it's like just over five twenty. Oh my God. Yeah. That's so insane. Yeah. Oh, that's so crazy. So for those listening, like think about taking that amount of power and then putting it on flat terrain. Um, and you have an idea of what some of us have to go through (laughs) during certain races. Is there, well, we were watching Roubaix a few minutes ago and we were definitely kind of talking about like, oh man, it would be pretty cool to see Brennan like on this sort of terrain Mm -hmm. where just raw Watts are really what rule the day. Yeah. Is there any... I mean, it's tough because you have a great thing going now, like you're getting to do this full time uh, you get to spend a lot of time at home in a beautiful part of the world in NorCal where many people would kill to live, mm-hmm. um, have an awesome community, community, all that sort of thing. Uh, but you asked me like, if I had the opportunity to just go do that style, you know, world tour racing for a year, would I take it? And right now my answer is no. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel very fortunate to have what I do, but throwing that question to you like if you got that opportunity if someone said hey here's a one-year contract to go just try Mm -hmm. world tour cycling what would you say at this point i think i don't know i think it's a it's a fun question to think about um i think it would be hard to turn that down um i for a long time that was kind of what i thought was the the goal that i Mm -hmm. was working towards um before i got into gravel and had no idea what pathway to take to get there because I was already starting so late and had kind of done all of my U23 years rowing. Um, so a lot of the development teams and sort of the teams that you use as a feeder programs to get into that level of racing were out of the question. So I was just sort of 
thinking that that was a long shot dream, had no idea how to achieve it, but was like, oh, that'd be really cool. Um, still love watching all those road races, especially the classics. I think if it was possible to do like a classics focused race block, mm-hmm. I would be super keen to do that. Um, I also like the whole, I know a common struggle for American riders going over is like just living in Europe and the cultural differences and how challenging that is and the language barriers. And like I said, I speak German, so, um, I've lived in Europe for quite a, uh, a couple rather long chunks of time. So for me, that's actually something that I'd be excited about. It wouldn't mm. be something that would be that I would be dreading or worrying about. It'd be really a cool opportunity. Um, so yeah, I think it would be, it would definitely be a hard choice and something to consider. And I honestly have no idea if it's even, uh, worth theorizing if it's like how, how possible that would be. But, um, it is a fun thing to think about and watching Roubaix definitely gets me fired up. Like I would love to, to do something like that. And, And you see those, the, the bigger riders of the Peloton out there at the front of the race, just throwing down the Watts on those cobblestones. And that's pretty sweet. Yeah. I think it'd be fun. And it'd be especially fun to to go over there with kind of the gravel racing background and experience and some of the tech and equipment that we utilize in our racing and our kind of day-to-day life and see if, I mean, I know that those teams have their sponsors and their kind of traditions and their structures. And um, as, a, as a new rider coming in, I'm sure you don't really have much say in that, but um, I, I think that that's another part of the sport that I really love looking at, like looking at Roubaix and all the tech and just thinking yeah. like, I don't know, like how much faster or slower would our gravel bikes be and mm-hmm. our gravel tires and our kind of stuff. And why don't those guys use a dyna plug? Like, yeah. you know, when wild flats, like who knows, you know, it's like, you yeah, never I know. mean, based on, so in gravel racing, we puncture a lot. Uh, it's just part of the game. And so we're very well versed. Like, I know how long it takes to throw a plug in, how much time you're going to lose and what the effort is going to look like to get back to the group based on where in the race it is, the race dynamics, all that sort of thing. I'm, I'm sure you're the exact same way. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just part of the fabric of gravel racing. And so it is so easy to watch Roubaix and see, wow, I'd have to take that wheel change today. And it was fast. Yeah. I mean, it was definitely fast. But, you know, you kind of wonder, like, he had to ride that flat um, on the cobbles for at least a minute or two mm-hmm. before he was at a point where the car could get to him. Uh, and I'm not going to say that stopping and throwing a plug in. And this, <laughs> for people who are like, who spent a long time watching road racing or been a, a part of World Tour road racing, they're going to probably roll their eyes so mm-hmm. hard at the idea of like a rider stopping and working on their bike and throwing a tire plug yeah. in. But I don't know that it would have been. I, I think it probably would have been faster than waiting for the car and getting getting a wheel change. Yeah, I mean, based on what what we know about that scenario for us, I don't know. Yeah, it's just it's a cool thing to think about. Like, we're our style of racing. One of the things I love about it is you have to be self sufficient. You have to really keep your cover all your bases, and I think that there's so much more to gravel racing than just the effort and getting to the start line and and the logistics and all that kind of stuff. Like it's, it's a totally different puzzle and I really love that. I think it's, it's challenging at times, but it's really fun to stay so mentally engaged throughout the season and have all these other tasks you have to complete and in the race you have to complete. And, um, so yeah, I think it's, it's a very unique discipline. It's very special and it's, 
I'm curious to see what happens with it in the future in the coming years and also to see if some of that some of those takeaways that we're we're gathering now as we kind of spend more years racing the discipline if those start to make their way into other disciplines and have sort of an, a lasting impact on other areas yeah. of cycling yeah i mean i think we both agree that the biggest thing is just we're dying for them to use wider tires <laughs> it's like it blows my mind that they're still on the 30s 32s at most it's just like i don't get it but it's a different conversation mm-hmm. um cool man well we should probably go get our pre-ride done but uh the last thing i wanted to touch on um is what your i guess main goals are for the grand prix whether there are any events that you're specifically most excited about do you have in this first year competing in the grand prix do you have um specific results-based goals or are you going in more with an open mind at this point definitely the open mind approach um i think last year you know i look at unbound last year i had a huge puncture pretty early on 40 50 miles in and it required three or four plugs two stops to put more air in uh ultimately a wheel change in the pit uh I've, I flatted the first year I did Unbound too. I crashed at Unbound. I came across the finish line with like my elbow pad. My I was using arrow bars and my elbow was basically glued to my elbow pad with blood. Um, oh. It was just nasty and disgusting and, you know, it was all swollen and painful. So I, I've seen firsthand what can and will go wrong there yeah. and just know that that will continue <laughs> to always be the case. So I think for me, it's really hard to set any sort of results-based goals for any of these races because I know that anything can happen. So for me, the main thing is just having fun, staying calm, and just taking taking the race on kind of bit by bit, mile by mile, and dealing with whatever happens um, as those things come up with, with a calm kind of state of mind. Um, I think with, you asked about races that I'm most excited about and that I'm kind of looking targeting and looking forward to i think probably not the obvious choices but leadville and crusher are two that i'm super pumped about yeah Um, why is that kind of what we touched on earlier like just looking to yeah prove people wrong or just sort of show that like you know let's see i'm i'm genuinely super curious to see like how can i do at leadville i have no idea like mountain biking is is still quite new to me that level of elevation is insane for me i live at sea level um I'm just genuinely super curious and fired up to go out there and and uh, test myself against the the best riders in the world in these kind of races. So I think that and then Crusher just it's such a unique race as well and such a you know massive climbing effort. Yeah. And I really felt like last year when I spent that month in the Dolomites, my climbing improved so much. So I'm looking forward to just kind of as the summer progresses, as the season progresses just enjoying that process and enjoying like working with our, our mutual coach Dennis to sort of just really nail down the prep for a very specific yeah. effort, a very specific race while also keeping the bigger picture in mind. And yep. I think that that just that whole process is super fun. It can be daunting at times, but it's just really, really an exciting idea to, to go into this year and look at like all these different races that require such different equipment, such different um, physical preparation and training and, yeah, just see what's possible. That's awesome, man. And that's such a good message too, I think, for the young younger riders that might be listening because 
Yeah, on paper, the events that suit you are, you know, obviously Unbound and maybe something like uh, The Rad, Dirt Fest, Schwamm again, these courses that are more rolling. Um, but the fact that you're fired up to prove yourself at events that on paper don't suit you as much is, I think, really a healthy long-term outlook um, and just really cool. I mean, that'll stand you in such good stead, I feel like. And I mean, the other ones will probably just take care of themselves. You know, you're, you're so strong. Like there's only so much you can do probably for like Unbound or, or one of the others where you're just going to have more watts than everybody else anyway. So it makes sense that you would focus a little bit more energy on the ones that on paper don't suit you as well. Um, yeah, that's cool. I think there are a lot of folks out there that understandably, you know, will just focus on their strengths because it's, mm -hmm. it's fun to excel at your strengths. Yeah. But um, that's, that's not probably what makes you succeed in the Grand Prix. You have to mm -hmm. be so well-rounded and uh, just figure out how to perform on such a vast array of courses. So Yeah, yeah, that's, that's cool. Been, that's been key for my whole cycling journey is just with it all being so new, it's just keep learning, keep having fun, um, keep pushing the boundaries of what you think is possible and just, yeah, open mind, keep learning and getting outside the comfort zone. And if you stay relaxed and just kind of take a step back and enjoy it, it's, it's pretty special. That's awesome, man. All right, dude. Let's um, let's go ride. Definitely. Let's do it. Thanks, Brent. Hello again, everyone. Thank you so much for listening today. Thank you to Lily McKelvin for editing and producing the show, as always. Um, thanks for bearing with us on the background noise this week. We'll be back in the studio next week for stellar sound quality. But now and then, an opportunity arises that you just can't pass up. Um, I'm really glad that Brennan was willing to make it work on short notice, and I look forward to checking back in with him again partway through the Grand Prix series. Um, I also want to say a huge thank you to Osprey for supporting today's episode. I've been a fan of Osprey for many, many years, all the way back before I was even living next door to them, way back during my Austin, Texas roots. Um, but these days, I'm neighbors with them. They're sort of a hometown brand, and they've always prioritized their hometown community as well. Longtime supporters of Durango Devo, Durango Trails, Mancus Trail Alliance, all that sort of thing. Durango Devo, of course, being the youth cycling program that has produced many, many lifelong cyclists and standout athletes such as Sepp Kuss, Christopher Blevins, Howard Grotz, Quinn Simmons, etc., but along with involving themselves in the local community, um, Osprey has just continuously made the gold standard in hydration packs, bags, backpacks, roller bags, luggage, all that sort of thing, and done it uh, with an eye towards sustainability too. And one of their big updates for 2023 is that all of their new bike hydration packs are getting updated to be 100% recycled and blue sign approved main body materials, which is just incredible. And along with that, they've updated their reservoirs and kind of revisited everything from uh, the reservoir handle to the hose, to the baffles, to the bite valve and redesigned it so that it's fully optimized and user-friendly. I, I can't speak highly enough as to both Osprey's products and their values as a brand. So please do go to osprey.com. And if you're in the market for a new hydration pack, a backpack, a book bag, luggage, roller bag, whatever it is. I use Osprey bags in all phases of what I do. I use their Duro 1.5 
vest for racing um, when I need a hydration pack. I use their transporter series for luggage um, and lots of stuff in between. Huge thanks to them for supporting today's episode. Thank you all again so much for listening today and we will catch you next week. 